uh, today we're launching a brand new series entitled, That's What He Said. It's going to be fun. I'm excited about it. Hey, let me pray for us real quick before we jump into it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you, God, uh, that you are a God that cares about us. And Father, as we journey over your words over the next few weeks, I just ask, God, that you lead us, that you be present. We can learn something deeply about you and apply God to our lives. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Hallelujah. So um, this last Friday, I was snowboarding, and um, I was, I'm not, I'm not terrible, I'm not the most athletic guy, to be honest with you. So I, I'm always the type of guy that thinks I'm better at something than I really am. So I'm sliding down this hill at like 40 miles per hour. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight, but you'll see what I'm talking about it. So I'm sliding down this hill super fast. And about, I don't know, 30 feet ahead of me, I see that there's no more snow. It turned into rocks. And I was like, interesting. So I, uh, I just, I just like, start stopping. At least I, I thought I was stopping as hard as I could. I hit the rocks at like 40 miles per hour. I launch like 25 feet in the air and just smack my head. And I have a concussion. So if I say something weird today, well, give me some grace, <laughs> right? Because I have a concussion. So this is going to be an interesting night. If I say something super intense that gets me fired, let's just keep it in here today, all right? Let's keep it in here. So we're in a, uh, we're in a series um, called That's What He Said, week one of it. I'm really pumped about it. Now, it said that the words of Jesus are some of the most important, if not the, the greatest words ever spoken. And I was thinking about that this last week as I was preparing for this, this message and this talk. And I was thinking, what, how, you know, how, could, how could such a claim be made of any collection of statements? I mean, think of just some of the incredible men in history, women in history that said some life-changing, some really powerful, important stuff, right? So how can, how can one claim Jesus' claims and his words rise above the other, right? To, to qualify as the greatest words ever spoken, they would have to, man, they'd probably have to reveal some type of truth that would otherwise go undiscovered, right? Or maybe, maybe they would have to um, impart some type of, a, or at least maybe bring some type of extraordinary benefit to the hearts or the minds or the souls, to the people or the, the lives of the people that are hearing them. They would have to impart hope to those who are in despair, joy to those whose hearts are broken, and peace to those who are just robbed in fear. These words would also have, have to have the, really the power to, at least, at least the authority to change someone, right? To change them from the inside out. And when you really think about it, uh, words really, they mean so much more when they come from a place of authority, right? It's why some of us tune in to watch our president talk because you don't know what's going on. Like, we go into war, or we not, right? You have no idea. Um, or uh, you watch other world leaders or whatever it is, right? Because when people in authority say something, you tune in. You're like, what is it? What is it going to say? And if Jesus, by the way, and this is what we're talking about today, if Jesus is who we claim to be, if he is exactly who we claim to be, and I get it, there's some skeptics in the room, and I'm glad you're here. I'd love to talk with you after. If Jesus is who we claim to be, then he is the, mo- he's the supreme, he's the utmost authority when it comes to talking about our lives. And the verse that we're going to be kind of t- diving in today, and it, we're going to talk about every other week, right? And, and you go to places of authority to, to, to get some type of insight, right? You go to the doctor because they're in a place of authority and you're hoping that their authority gives them the right knowledge or the influence to help you out. It's the right medication you need to take. You need to not do this or start doing that or whatever it is. A few years ago, I had an interesting run-in with a doctor. Um, uh, again, me being not the most athletic guy, I was doing a handstand, attempting to do a handstand, um, and I ended up dislocating my shoulder. Exactly. Uh, so I dislocate my shoulder and my shoulder like snaps down into my back, Right? And so my, my, my lap, my back muscle, like, spazzed out. It, like, just flexed around this thing. And so I was like, huh. You know, I was like, what? So I couldn't lift my arm really that high. And it was, like, stuck in my back. It was like, it was, like, it was crazy. So I run over to the trainer, because this was when I was in high school years ago. And um, I run over to the trainer. I was like, you got to fix this. Like, I don't know what I did, right? It's like, oh, you dislocated it. I was like, I don't know what that is. Just fix it. It hurts, right? So they're like, they're, she's yanking on my arm, trying to get it out. 
And I, she's not getting it out. She's like, we have to call the hospital. Or we have to call it. We have to call 911. So they, the ambulance has to pick me up from school, which is the whole thing. And so they, uh, they put me in the back and they send me to the hospital. And I'm sitting in this waiting room for like three and a half hours with my arm out. With my arm just way out of, my, my, out of its socket. It's the most pain I've ever been in my life. The doctors come in and finally, like, I'm like, hey, I'm about to pass out. I need something. So they start giving me morphine. Wow. <laughs> right? So they started giving me morphine, and like I was just high as a kite. I was like, Gish. I didn't even know I had an arm, right? And I remember literally, my, I'm like, it's fine. I'm trying to walk out of the hospital, and the nurses are like, whoa. And I'm like, it's fine. Like, it's fine. Because I know, I know that when they have to like put it back in its socket, it's going to be the most painful experience of my life, right? To move it through my muscle, to tear the muscle, it's going to be painful. So I'm like, it's going to be fine. I don't want to do it. I don't want to go through the pain of having it be fixed. So I'm just going to be fine. Finally, they're like, listen, dude, you, you're, you're, your arm's going to fall off. You got to sit down. So I'm like, fine. So I lay down on this table and uh, my arm's out like this. And uh, this one doctor comes over and on my back, literally, I'm gonna go over here. He's like this. He's on my back like this, right? And then uh, <laughs> there's another doctor that's like grabbed my, my arm and pulling down and one's against my shoulder on the count of three. One, two, and it's just... <laughs> It's like the weirdest sound. It pops back in, right? And immediately it felt all better. I didn't want to go through that though because it was a painful experience for them to push it through. It was like the morphine didn't work for just that part and then bam, popped in and it was totally fine. I've learned that most people though, they kind of live their lives in a very similar way. And you're like, what? Just like I didn't want to like, like, I wanted my, my shoulder obviously to get fixed. I just didn't want to go through the pain of getting it fixed, right? I was like, the morphine's fine. I'll just hang out. It's totally fine. I've learned that most people live their lives in the same way because the road to better or the road to being healthy, whatever that looks like, to to be healthy as an individual, to to have healthy relationships or to, man, examine your own baggage and the pain and the hurt and stuff that you have in your own life can be a pretty painful thing. And so most people, they don't really want to do it, especially when it comes to the words of Jesus, by the way. Why? Because, well, Jesus' words aren't just better, they're perfect. If he is who he claimed to be, his words are perfect. And, and this is really kind of the big, one of the big ideas we're talking about today, that Jesus' words were constantly revealing who we are. Like, they're constantly revealing who we really are. Have you ever, have you ever like, walked by, like a, like, a mirror, and, like, you saw yourself in, like, not a good light, and you're like, ooh, you know, have you ever, this ever happened to you? Right, you're like, ooh, you know, how do I, how do I go on dates, right? Like, like, whatever it is, right? I made the mistake a few weeks ago. So my wife's got, I'm sure all the girls in here, they have, like, one of those, like, uh, little mirrors, right, where it's got, like, the little, like, light around it. Are these makeup mirrors? What are these things called? What are they called? Is someone vanity something? Whatever it is, all right? And it like zooms real close up on your face. So it's for like girls doing their eyebrows. I don't know what they're for. Getting earwax. I have no idea what these things are for, right? So I, I, I just make a I'm like, I'm just going to check this thing out, right? So I sit down and I look inside of it. Biggest mistake of my life. I lost all self-esteem right there, right? I started to see like all things in my like pores that weren't. I was like, holy, what is going on, right? It was like, whoa, my face is way not as nice as I thought it was, right? <laughs> and that's what we're talking about tonight. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but in, in, I was thinking about that for some reason this last week, and the thing I was reminded of is, is that Jesus' words in this kind of have the same effect on us. Like, we like to hear, like, oh, Jesus loves you, John 3, 16, for God to love you, you know, whatever, right? But, but Jesus said some pretty intense things, some things that were, like, way up in your grill, like, what's up, dude? Like, he said things that were pretty intense. And like I said, Jesus' words have that same effect on us. It gets close up in your character, close up in your integrity, close up in your soul. Like, who are you really? And, and I've learned that the, the self-awareness that Jesus provides to us can sometimes be so painful that people never come to him because of that pain. Let me give you an example. I think one of the most incredible ministries we have here is CR. CR is on Friday nights in this room, 7 o'clock, and it's Celebrate Recovery. And in CR, what I, I love about this is they're the most authentic people. They'll walk in and they, they, they meet up in groups for like 
I don't know how long it is, like the year or something like that in, in groups after the services. And, and they literally just talk about how they don't have it all together. And I think that's the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Like just people that aren't trying to be fake. Sometimes like I'll, I'll, I'll be talking to a kid and um, they'll be telling me like that their kids, that their parents are getting divorced and it's just, it's crushing them that their parents aren't getting along or whatever it is, right? And I'll see that same parent and that same family over at the big church over there. And I'll be like, hey, how's it going? And they're like, oh, it's been, I've never been better. It's been great. You know, like he's got the church comb over and the shiny sh-. He thinks everything is fine. But I'm like, dude, that's not real. I want to be a place of authenticity. Often people think that like the church is like this museum for like wax perfect people. No, it's a hospital for people who admit they're broken. People who are like, I don't have this life together. I need, I need to like find a healer. I need to find a counselor, a savior, a Lord. I love CR because of that, because it's just a group of people that are saying like, this is, this is who I am. And this is what I have to deal with. It's people who allow other people into their baggage. And often, often though, we would rather live in a narrative of our false selves than listening and seeing the narratives of our true selves. The reality is that, that we don't have it all together, that we're broken and that we carry baggage, right? You carry baggage from your family. So some of you guys know my story, right? So I don't really come from a Christian home. Um, everyone in my family is really an alcoholic. And, and so I have family of origin issues, right, that I had to hammer out years of counseling, still do, right? And, and Maybe some of your stories are similar, right? Even if, even if your parents were the best they could be, they're not perfect. So you still have some type of family origin issue, some baggage that you're bringing on. Maybe it was a, a relationship with you were in, and that person, that guy or that girl treated you like no one else should. And now you, the way you view like a guy or the way that you view a girl, the way that you view relationships is, is damaged. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. Maybe, maybe you had a dad that didn't treat you the way a dad should treat you, or he left. And now when you hear God the Father, it, it, it affects you. Or maybe you just have baggage from other relationships. So you have baggage from living in a fallen world. You know, all throughout scripture, I had this image this last week. That God is constantly kind of holding up a mirror to us, showing us just our sinfulness and our ugliness. But, that's the bad part, but the good part. The good news is he's constantly and compassionately calling us forward to show us the beauty he sees in us through the lens of the cross and who we're supposed to be. Really, what this series is going to be about, if we could boil it down to one thing, is this. That we're going to kind of examine the words of Jesus to show us that to ascend towards God is to walk towards a furnace where falsehood is extracted from our souls. Let me, to ascend towards God is to walk into a furnace, which isn't comfortable, where falsehood is extracted from our souls. We can begin to see who we really are. We don't have to be fake, but we can be authentic with really who we are and genuine. It's like, this is, this is who I am. Now, all that to say that the words of Jesus can be pretty, pretty, pretty uncomfortable at times. But, or if, if you don't understand the character and the personhood of Jesus. Let me give you an example. The mother of all politically incorrect statements in our culture is one of Jesus' most famous things. And it's John 14, 6. And if there's a scripture that you can memorize, it's this one. It's, it's I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me is an incredible verse. And in it, we're going to kind of talk a lot about really what he's communicating here. I mean, he's saying some pretty intense stuff, right up in your grill stuff, uncomfortable stuff. And people become irate over this. They become so frustrated over his declaration over this verse. I remember I was talking with a family member and uh, I told them that I, I believed in what this verse was communicating. I said, with all my heart, I believe that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There is no other way except to the Father, except through him. And she started, this, this, my, my family member started accusing me of being like, intolerant, narrow-minded, and, and arrogant, and hateful, and they even called me a bigot, and they said that, well, they don't talk to me anymore. They think I'm, I'm a disgusting person because I believe this. See, 
I learned that the greatest atrocity in today's culture, as I was driving home after that meeting, that family gathering, I learned this. The greatest atrocity in today's culture is not theft. It's not even rape, not even murder. It's intolerance. People are willing to tolerate any view until or except it claims to be uniquely or exclusively true. And John 14, 6 is literally, like we're going to unpack it in a second, is an, is an incredibly exclusive statement in a world that falsely pushes inclusivity. Let me, let me give you an example. So in, in today's culture, exclusivity, I think, gets a bad rap, right? Because like we're all about being inclusive, adding people. And I think that's great. I think a church is to add people. I think our theology is not supposed to change at all. But I think that, yes, we are supposed to care and love people um, and, and things along those lines, regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of what their baggage and their past is like. We are to welcome. Remember what I said earlier, right? That the church is a hospital for people who are broken, not a museum for perfect people. Right? And so that's what this church is supposed to be about. That's what the church is supposed to be about. Exclusivity in today's culture, though, I think gets a bad rap. I think it's actually a really good thing at times. Think of marriage, right? When I said I do to my wife, I said I don't to every other girl in the world. When she said I do to you and looked me in the eyes, she said I don't to every other guy in the world. That's a beautiful thing. There's actually a lot of beauty in this verse because here Jesus props himself up, drops all of his competition and says... By making a claim that no other messianic figure in all of history had made. That the way, that the truth, that the life isn't an ideology. It's not a, a certain uh, understanding or uh, view of the world or certain presuppositions or whatever it is. Or it's not even a set of rules like a big game of Simon says, but instead of Simon, you have the Ten Commandments and Jesus, right? It's not like that. What he's saying is so much different. That the way, the truth, the life isn't an ideology. It's not a, um, a, a game of Simon Says, a set of rules, but it is a person. And that is some incredible news. And it's some incredible news because it means that the way, the truth, and the life is relational. I often think that sometimes we get so busy in our lives that we forget that the God that created all things, all things, spoke the world into existence in John 1, uh, 1 through 4 and verse 14 wants a relationship with you. That is an incredible thing. That should make you press, like, pause real quick and just think, the God that created all things, the stars, everything, wants a relationship with you. That is incredible. And you and I don't just get to intellectually know him. That's to know certain propositions about him and, and, and things about him. It is that you and I can experientially know him. You can know, like, who he is relationally, experientially. And tonight, that's what I want to talk about as we kind of break apart John 14, 6. So I'm going to read for it one more time. And we'll jump into it. It says this, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we're going to break it in three sections. So we all need a way. And we all need a way, and that is a way to do life. Let me give you maybe an example that makes sense. By a show of hands, who's ever been to a baseball game before? I'm, I'm assume that we live in America, probably most of you guys. You can put your hands on it, right? So uh, a few uh, years ago, many years ago, um, my friend invited me to a baseball game. Um, I think it was like an elementary school or something like that. And I was with... Um, his, his family and stuff like that. Now, remember what I said earlier, didn't always grow up. I, I grew up like riding motocross and doing martial arts. So like the whole like throwing a football and whatever was never like something I was really good at. So I didn't even learn the, 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 the sport. I didn't learn the rules. I didn't learn anything about it. So I just thought free tickets to the angels. I'll see what's up, right? So I'm sitting there and uh, I, re I remember like thinking how interesting of like an environment this really was at a young kid, right? Um, I was noticing how people behaved, right? When the ref made a, a call, people booed. Or when he made a good call, people 
didn't boo, right? And they would do different uh, cards or colors or whatever it is, I don't even know. And, and they're like doing certain gestures, right? And there's people getting all amped up. All the baseball players in here are just killing me right now. Um, <laughs> I can see them. I can see a few of you guys. You're like, you idiot. Uh, <laughs> whatever, you come up here. Just kidding. Uh, or whatever it is, right? But they're like doing certain calls. I don't know what it looks like, right? Or I don't know. I don't know what it is. But uh, and people are getting hyped up, right? They're like yelling. They're like, what's up? That's a terrible call. And I'm like, yeah, that's a terrible call. I don't know what's going on. That's a terrible I don't like that blue cut, whatever it is. I don't know. Yellow card. I don't know. Um, is it yellow? What is it? I'm going to take a drink. <laughs> it's that concussion. All right. Um, where were we now? So yeah, when the, <laughs> so there's an interesting question, right? How did you learn how to behave at a baseball game? Did someone like on the ride there, like, all right, here's the whiteboard. All right, when he does this or that or whatever, these colors, all right, you have to boo or you have to not boo, right? No, no one sat down with a whiteboard and was like, all right, here's how you behave. No, no, no. You learned how to behave by the people around you, right? You learned how to be, you should behave by the behavior of those around you. In other words, there was a predetermined script on how to behave, what to believe in, how to determine what was important by the people you were surrounded by with. So let's ask the same question. Who taught you to do life? Was it your family? We talked about it, right? Our families aren't perfect. So you're going to have some hiccups along that road, some, some, some things you're going to say like, oh, okay, I'll tell you this. Okay, so, so marriage, I've heard it described like this. So if you're not married, pay attention. It's like a, like a big like, like truck, like an 18-wheeled truck that drives over a bridge and exposes all the, fresh cracker, uh, the stress fractures. That's what marriage is. Boom. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, right, but, but what it says is, like, is that like, when you have the, like, someone so close to you, they get to see you, and they get to, they, they get to see all the, the stress. Like, they get to see who you really are. And what I find really interesting is, one, marriage does the same thing. Two, Jesus' words do the same thing. And you're going to learn about your, when you get married or when you start going, if you go to counseling or you go to CR or whatever it is, that you aren't as, maybe as perfect as you thought. Right? From a far mirror, you look pretty good, but when you get up in one of those like vanity mirrors or whatever they are called, makeup mirrors, I don't know what they are, those things, right? you don't look nearly as good. Jesus' words have that effect on us. And when you examine your family, you may, you may think the same. Or maybe, maybe your friends, right? Maybe uh, your friends is who taught you how to do life. That's cool and stuff, but friends, like, they're great, but how many, I'm gonna embed, how many of you guys in your life right now um, have friends that are like, you've had for like 15 years, 20 years? A few of you guys, but most of us, what happened to them, right? <laughs> like, you're like, I don't even know who, I don't even see them on Instagram. I have no idea, right? So friends come and go, right? Yes, friends are important, obviously, right? But they come and go, and they're not perfect. Or maybe it was society. Maybe it was society or culture that taught you how to do life, what to think was important. See, the reality is we're all born into a world that has a way of governance. We learn how to do life by social cues and interactions and experiences and relationships and education. In other words, there is a pattern, but the question I want to ask tonight is, does the world have a good pattern? See, we really can reduce the pattern of this world down to this, in the finding, acquiring, or keeping happiness, whatever that means, right? But that can't be the best way to, that can't be the best pattern. Because what happens in heartache? What happens when life doesn't go the way that you planned? Does the world have a good way of dealing with tragedy or pain. You know, uh, a lot of you guys know my story. When my dad was passing away, he was on life support. Uh, I have an older sister who's, who's not just an atheist, she's like a militant atheist. And she 
watching her say goodbye to my dad, who was in a coma, was literally the most painful thing. It was almost more painful, and I'm not even close to there, but it was almost more painful than watching my dad pass away because she had zero hope. It was, you have a, a 40-year-old successful person, my smaller sister, and, and she's on his chest as it's mechanically expanding, weeping, crying, singing the songs that he used to sing to her as a kid. Does the world have a good way to deal with tragedy? Does the secular humanist worldview have a good way to deal with tragedy? I propose that it doesn't. I've seen it firsthand. See, if your happiness is, is, is based purely on happenstance, you will have all of the joy in your life ripped away from you because since the Garden of Eden, our lives have been plagued with uncertainties. It's not the world that God initially wanted for you and I. And Paul kind of lets us know on this. He, he gives us some ideas about this pattern that's going on. In Romans 12, 2, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. It's really interesting that he says that. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. A pattern is something that's preset before you. You walk into a pattern. It's something that exists before your heartbeat started, right? And, and you get to conform to it. You get to become like it. You get to assimilate it. He's saying don't. The way the world operates isn't the, like, isn't the way that God wants this world to operate, so don't look to people. Don't look to this culture or society. Don't look to this world for a way to live your life. You'll end up hopeless. So the big question is, who is really giving us a good way to do life? How, do we, how are we going to use our, our talents in a way that have some type of significance, eternal significance? How are we going to use our time in a way that is wise, where we can be a steward of it? How are we going to, at least what are we supposed to treasure? What are you and I supposed to think is valuable? See, uh, it's only in Christ where we can have an anchor for our souls. An anchor in an in eternal, everlasting, immutable means unchanging God, where we can anchor our souls in life, and that's where true life is. To be free of the pattern of searching for power or prestige or possession. See, Christ offers that type of life, and this is really what we're going to be talking about. Christ offers a life that none other can offer because he's the creator of it. In John 1, like I said earlier, we learn that he created the world, the second member of the Trinity. And he created all things. And if that is true, then it would only make sense that you can live a real life, the abundant life, the life as it is intended to be, connected to him. And that is why sin, by the way, is so damaging to us. Sin destroys the fabric of our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with God, our connection to the source of life. And that's why it's damaging to us. Now, the second meaning of I am the way is the way to heaven is not a, is not a religious system. It's not a, a spiritual teaching to follow. It's not, a, it's not found in you or your sincere efforts. It's not found in a list of do's or don'ts. The way is Jesus. He is the door that allows us access into heaven. But that is some challenging words. Because not all roads lead to heaven then. If what he's saying is true, then that means that all roads do not lead to heaven. There's a... I was thinking of this example this last week, and I may have a concussion, so it makes sense to me. If it makes sense to you, we'll see. But imagine that this, this, this building's on fire, and there's a father and son in, in, in the back of the, the building. We're all trapped in. For some reason, all the doors are locked. The father does see a, a, a way, though, out through one of the doors or one of the cracks in the wall or whatever it is, and, and, and sends only his son's big enough to go through. So he sends his son through there to open, to get outside, open the door from the outside. In the process of his son doing it, unlocks the door, but dies in the process of doing it. Now, there's only one way. There's only one way that leads to life. We are in a burning building. 
And there's only one way. Any other way, up the ceilings, out that door, it, it doesn't work. There's only one way that leads to life. Imagine how evil it would be for the father to put his son through that if there was another way. If there were another door that would lead to life, eternal life, the life that Christ offers, which is a life abundantly here and an eternal life after we pass away, how evil of a father would that be if there was another way, if there was another door, if there was a window or something that, that he could send us all us through? It'd be evil. Scripture tells us that God is omnibenevolent. That means all good and all loving. And it says he's omniscient, all knowing. So it only makes sense that there's only one way because he wouldn't have chosen the cross to atone for our sins. And the good news, though, is that there is a way. The second part of this is that we need the truth. What he's communicating is that he's saying, like, I am your bridge because I'm the only one that tells the truth about the human condition, that it's fallen, and I'm the only one that can offer a solution because I was the one that's perfect, lived and died on a cross for you to atone for your sins. And what, and what he's saying is what I say is true. And by the way, if you want a, a definition of truth in a postmodern world, it's that which accurately corresponds to reality. And by the way, what Jesus did time and time again was give us the truth because he's the one that created reality. So everything he said accurately corresponded with the world that he created. But there is a cost to truth. On April 16, 2007, a gunman killed 32 people and wounded many more before taking his own life on the campus of Virginia Tech. I came across this, this news article this last week, flipping through some things, somehow I came across it. And I was surprised by something I thought was really interesting. The memorial was broadcasted you know, all over the nation at the time, 2007. And they determined that it should be an interfaith service. So as the camera started rolling, there was a Buddhist that came up and said that there's, there's good still within man, that, that, that there is some uh, basic goodness of man, which is is different than what Scripture says. And there was a Jewish woman who read from the Old Testament, and then there was a Muslim quoted from the Quran and appealed to Allah, and then there was a pastor who gave a brief talk about uh, helping one another and being together. But no one mentioned Jesus Christ in the entire memorial service. And I was asking myself, this class, like, why did they do that? Why, why would they not mention Jesus at all? They admitted any reference to him. And I, I, I started to think, there's a reason for that. Because Christ's claims about himself and what is proclaimed about him in the Bible are so specific and they're so exclusive that he's offensive to a pluralistic, all roads lead to heaven culture. Almost everything is tolerated in the public arena now but Jesus. The truth that Jesus is who he claimed to be is the scandalous thing about Christianity. Because it says that all other roads are false. And the cost of this truth is not that everyone goes to heaven. And that's offensive, but it's also empowering. It means you and I have the good news to, to share it with people. We're going to talk more about that in a second. The last part is that we all need life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. We think, you know, we are getting the most out of life by living in our way, or the way that was predetermined for you and I to live. But that's not what life is really for. Life is for really for two things. And Jesus did this in an interesting way. He took all of the Ten Commandments and the six, 625 laws in the Old Testament and deduced them down to one, two commandments, to love God, to love others. And I'll add maybe a, a third, which is to use your time, your talents, and your treasures in a way that brings people to him and glorifies God. The real life that God wants for you and I is to be connected to him. And I think there are consequences to living a life disconnected from him. Let me give you a silly example. One day I, I came home and my dad was making tacos. 
And he, he makes tacos, so I'm pounding a bunch. I pound like 60 tacos already. I go back in for seconds and thirds or whatever it was. And, and I see my mom in there. She's about to grab her tacos. She's like hurling. I'm like, what the hell? There was in the tacos. I'm like, oh, no, right? I'm like, oh, no, right? Um, and she's like looking at my dad, pointing, and she's like throwing up. And, and, and I'm like, okay. He's like, he's grating the cheese over there. I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, in his hand, in his hand. I noticed in his hand he didn't have a cheese grater. You guys know what a pet egg is? You know those things are? So if you don't know what a pet egg is, it's not the great cheese. It's the great the skin off your feet, right? The calluses off your feet. You know what I'm saying? Right? So I'm like, huh. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, right? So he's grating the cheese. He's thinking. He thought this like, oh, you know, my wife bought me a new fancy cheese grater. I'm like, what the, what the freak? Uh, I'm like eight tacos deep, right? I'm like, this is terrible, right? <laughs> right? So... So I'm like, now I'm throwing up. This is terrible. Right now, he it obviously didn't even do like, a good job at grating cheese. Like, this thing sucks. I'm like, it's not for grating cheese, right? It's for grating your foot, which, ugh, right? Uh, ugh. All right. Um, <laughs> right, so the petting has an intended design. It's intended design not to grate cheese. It does an all right job at it, but it's not, the, it's not made for that. It's not really, really good at that because that's not what it's designed to do. There was an, a designer that came up with its design for a specific reason. By the way, the same is true with our lives. If, if Jesus is who we claim to be, and I'm not saying everyone in this room believes that he is, but if he is who we claim to be, then he created you. So it makes sense that only he has the right key, I guess, to your life on how to live it or direct, di- the right direction or, or the way in which you and I are to live our lives. And what Jesus really is saying here is, when I am the life, he's saying that there is a kind of life that's only like a shadow of what God created it to be. Life with, without me is like an anchor. I'm sorry, like an echo. It is best the fading reflection of the real thing. Here for a moment, but it's gone. But the life that, that Christ gives us is abundant here on earth. John 10, 10, I, I came life to give it abundantly and eternal. It outlasts the few years that we're here and it easily outshines what this world can offer because it's the very life of God in you. So as we wrap up today, here's really what I was thinking about this last week. We all have, this is the phrase that came to me, we all have spiritual daddy issues. You're like, what? We all, we all have spiritual daddy issues. And here's what I think us young adults get wrong. You know, young adults is a time really to search for things. And we're all searching for something. You guys are searching for a relationship. That's why most of you become young adults. I'm just kidding. Um, you guys are searching for the right major, right, before you switch it five times as a freshman. You're searching for a job. Like, what are you going to do with your life, right? You're going to live here for like another 50 years. Like, I should probably figure out what's going on, right? And you're searching for answers. But what we really need is, is the Father in our life. What we really need is the love from a heavenly Father. Jesus' promise is that he is the way to the Father. He is the truth about the Father, and he is the life from the Father, the scandal of Christianity is that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He said it in John 14, 6, and then resurrected from the grave to prove it. And by the way, if you are a skeptic, I challenge you to, to look into the resurrection on actually and how coherent and feasible or viable or I think it's the best explanation for what really happened there. So the question I'm asking you tonight is what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with Jesus who claimed for himself deity issued a demand that everyone repent for their sins and believe in him and him alone only for salvation. I want to challenge two people tonight as we end. The first is the skeptic. I'm pumped you're here, by the way. I'm not asking you to stop asking questions. In fact, I'm asking you to start asking tougher ones. There are four fundamental questions that all worldviews, by the way, worldviews, the lens in which you view the world around you. It's the fundamental orientation in which you have against the world. 
I want you to ask four questions. The first is, where did I come from? Right? Where did I come from? That's origin. The question is, second question is, where do I go when I die? That's destiny. Third question is, what is right and what is wrong? Morality. And the last one is, why am I here? That's purpose. Those are some intense questions, and I want you to analyze your world if you are a skeptic and think, do your answers make sense? And then the second person I want to talk to is the apathetic. The skeptic and then the apathetic. Some of you know the Bible just as well as I do. In fact, you could give the same sermon up here. But you've allowed your familiarity with Scripture to breed somewhat of an apathy towards it. You, here's the question I was thinking this last week. How evil of a person would you be if you knew the cure for cancer in a world full of people with it and you kept the cure for yourself? So my challenge for you is I have two challenges for you. The first, don't come alone next week. Invite a friend. Who in your family? Who's in your friend group? Who have you not, who have you, I have so many people in my life that like when I became a Christian, I just began to distance myself from. And now I look back and I was like, wow, I had such an incredible opportunity to bring those people. Who in your life? Who is it? Who, who are the people in your life, past, the people in your past, or the people right maybe at your work or, or whatever it is that, that you need to save a seat for? You save a seat at Disneyland, you save a seat at the movie theater, save a seat here and text someone, bring them with you next week. And the second challenge I have is go to Guatemala. Guatemala is an incredible trip. It is literally like a life-changing trip. It's $750. There's never going to be a lower price for it. And it'll strengthen your faith. It'll give you an awesome opportunity to meet people and, and, and it really teach you things about uh, your faith in the world around you. In John 14, 6, Jesus doesn't just merely point the way. He is the way. Jesus doesn't just teach us about the truth. He tells us that he is the truth. He does not just represent one avenue of life. He tells us that he is the life. And this is an extraordinary claim. It's an exclusive claim that cannot be comprehended comprehended. It cannot be compromised. In a word, the, the human quest for God ends in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you, God, that you have provided a way for us. God, that you have given us a way to live life abundantly here, to experience joy and peace because we're living life connected to you, or its source of life. So Father, I want to pray for the people in this room and ask God for the skeptic that they begin to ask more tough questions and, and tougher questions about their worldview, maybe even in Christianity, ask tough questions about Christianity. And for the apathetic, I ask you know, that you wake us out of our apathy. Well, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Awesome, guys.